Thanks for joining in and listening to my podcast. My name is Justin Tippett, the CX Judge, and in this episode, I'd like to introduce Daniel Ord from OmniTouch International. Daniel, welcome to the show. Thank you, Justin. Absolute pleasure to have you on board. I've been uh, admiring and publishing a lot of your articles over the years, so it's uh, it's a genuinely a, a real thrill to actually get you on the line. So thank you for giving up a bit of time in uh, in very balmy Singapore this morning. You're more than welcome. It's it's an honor, and thanks for all the the promotion of the articles. I've appreciated it. Absolute pleasure. Uh, now, so going off your um your your LinkedIn profile, one of the things that hit me straight away, Daniel, is is just that, that sort of one of your your second line really is that that mastery in contact centers, and it's something that really resonated with me because I think for a lot of people they see call centers as a a bit of an afterthought, but it really is a skill and a profession in its own right. Yes, I couldn't agree more. There's a there's a lot to it. It's not as simple as some very senior bosses think or used to think it is. So. No, that's, that's exactly right. But look, that said, it's a great time, I guess, to be in uh, in, in customer experience and call centers. Uh, yeah. As you know, I think for a long time we, we, we've been talking about, you know, you do a keynote presentation and it's around, well, how do I make call centers more strategically important to the business? And uh, we're certainly mm -hmm. not having those conversations anymore. Everyone's really excited about, well, you know, what can call centers or customer experience do for my business. Have you, are you seeing the same on your side? Yes, absolutely, Justin. We're seeing the same trends here, <clears throat> especially across Asia, where I do a lot of the work that we do. Fantastic. So, look for 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 the for the people that are listening in. Just tell me a little bit about um, sort of your background, and I guess like most people, you probably didn't go to school and and, and think you're going to be working in uh, customer experience. So, how did it all start for you? No problem, Justin. I, it's a story I often share when I open workshop sessions. Um, I was a management accountant. I got my degree in economics. I became a management accountant. I was working for a company that was doing direct marketing. They were selling music over the phone and via catalogs. So they built their own call center and warehouse and I became the CFO and they hired a professional um, from Northern California to be their contact center manager or VP of operations. And we got along famously. She taught me a lot about, especially the people side of running a contact center. And then here's what happened. She took a job offer. About one, two years later, she resigned. And my phone rang shortly uh, afterwards. And the head of the company said, Dan, you've done such a good job in the finance side of things. How would you like to take over the operations? And I've learned in my career to say yes much more often than I say no. I read a lot of articles that say you should say no more often, but I actually think you should say yes more often. So without any experience whatsoever, I moved directly from VP of finance to VP of operations of a very large national contact center uh, selling lots of products to US customers. What an experience that was. Uh, absolutely amazing experience and probably quite unique, I guess, in terms of having the, the financial background. And that's probably uh, no doubt served you well over the years with a focus on, uh, you know, cost optimization. Uh, you're right. I think I think I got famous for creating cost per order and cost per customer service call models. And I think the logic around that has definitely helped me, although I'm the first to say it can't always be about cost. And I have a feeling a lot of contact center managers are nodding their heads right now. It can't always be about cost. So. Yeah, absolutely. And so to put in a little bit of context again for our listeners, um, you know, you've got some, some obviously some, some runs on the board, so to speak. And, you know, on top of uh, your experience that you've spoken about already, you're, you're a certified customer experience professional, you're ICMI certified, CIAC 
uh, certified. So you've had a lot of experience and, and now run Omni, Omni Touch International and literally consult uh, across the globe on call centers. What, what are some of the trends that you're, you're seeing in the industry today? Because it seems to be moving at such a rapid pace. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you bring that up. Of course, there's a lot of buzz and talk about things like chatbots. I'd say that's a huge topic that I hear these days. But, but most of the challenges we see, and at this point in, in our work, we're dealing mostly with people who have challenges to solve or opportunities they want to take advantage of, they're pretty much evergreen. Because I sometimes say we work in an industry of amateurs, and I, I counted myself in that, in that league at one point because most of us didn't go to school for this. We didn't earn any kind of scholastic accreditation for this. We just end up in the contact center by accident or we're promoted up from agent level, <clears throat> which I think is really great. But the challenge there is you only learn the way your company does things, which may or may not be correct. So the evergreen challenge I see, whether I'm in Europe, whether I'm in Asia, whether I'm even back in the US is, people simply don't know what they don't know. They haven't, quote unquote, gone to school to master the fundamentals. And I think that still remains the biggest challenge that I see. Yeah, I was nodding my head the whole time you were speaking there, as I'm sure our, our, our listeners are. And, and, and I sort of talk to people today and say, what are your biggest challenges that you're facing? And, you know, you're right, there's lots of technology coming every week. It seems like there's a new thing that's the hottest uh, trend to have. But it's the same things that seem to still be the problems. It's, you know, how do I manage, uh, how do I recruit, retain staff, uh, you know, as opposed to, you know, how do I implement the latest tech? Again, is that something that you can relate to? Absolutely. How do I create a service culture? How do I promote the contact center within my organization is a viable part of the customer experience journey. Exactly what you said. How do I hold on and retain these great agents and and, and show them the care and value that they're truly worth. Um, these, are, these are pretty much the same challenges over and over, year after year. And, and so one of the articles that we published a, a, a while back, uh, which has been very popular, was uh, talking about the AHT metric. And again, you know, that focus, I guess, of organizations, it was normally around cost optimization. And well, if I can shorten the, if I can shorten the phone call, surely that's going to deliver a, a better financial outcome for the organization. And I guess that probably couldn't be further from the truth. Can you walk us through your, your logic behind that article? Well, sure. I, I think of all the articles I've written, that one definitely hit a sweet spot. I think that, that had more views, et cetera, than anything else I've ever written. And I wrote it in a fit of pique, to be honest. I think I had just had a call with a, with a director of an outsourced company, and he or she was telling me that AHT is the most important metric on earth. So after I hung up the phone, I said to myself, no, it's not, and it's about time I say something about it. So I... I sat down and basically listed out, the article's out there, so I won't run through the article. I listed out what you need to know about AHT, which obviously is you need to know it for forecasting. That's really, really important to get your AHT right. But at an individual agent level, it's a completely inappropriate metric because it obviously encourages the agent to keep things short, which can damage experience, can cause more repeat calls, more money spent, more unhappy customers. I think these are things that we know. There are much bigger ways to save money in a contact center than AHT. Uh, and, and, and that was the focus of the article, just to literally, quote unquote, set the record straight from my perspective on how to use AHT and how not to use it. 
Yep. No, as you said, it was certainly a very popular um, article. I was just looking on our website. It's been shared 480 times uh, <laughs> from our yeah. website alone, Daniel. So uh, it's certainly very popular. And for those listening, uh, you can easily find it. Uh, just some punch in AHT in the uh, search bar and you'll see the article straight away. Um, you just mentioned in your last point that there's probably some better ways um, to measure things in contact centres. And I think it'd be reminiscent of me not to ask, what do you think they are? Well, I mean, it depends on the level you're speaking at. I think, um, boy, that's a big question. Clearance, <laughs> service level and response time really matter. How, how quickly am I going to respond to the contacts that come in? Something I find that nine out of 10 people I meet don't know is for the contacts that come in when they arrive, phone calls, live chats, even walk-ins, you use a ser service level as your metric, but for the contacts that can be handled later, like email or correspondence, you use response time. And what opens people's eyes is to realize the way you staff, the way you plan, the way you manage people in a, let's say a correspondence team is very different than the way you manage someone in a live chat team. And that tends to open eyes and say, oh, maybe I'm not measuring my agents on the right things. Um, so speaking directly with agents, that's probably the area I see the biggest challenge or the biggest set of problems is what should I measure my agents on so that I'm getting the best from them and still running an efficient or cost-effective contact center. Yeah. So obviously, um, you know, the we touched on this earlier before we, we went on air, Daniel, it was around the uh, you know, changing technology and how that's changing, I guess, what's happening or the contacts that are coming into the contact center. If I use a bank as an example, you know, when's the last time I rang my bank to get my balance? Oh, I just don't do it. I go to my app and it's, it's there within one second. So obviously when I do need to call a bank, it's about something that's uh, a little bit more complex or the app's not working, for example. So it's certainly changing the conversations and the skills required in, in call center agents um, that we're seeing in Australia. And I suspect that's that's you know, not unique just to, uh, to us down under. How do you prepare agents for, for those more complex organizations because it really is changing quickly well funny enough the agents are feeling it already so they're they're probably silently or not so silently reaching out and saying boss help me and and the first thing is you've got to start to measure them on the right things and you've got to take away the wrong things so again aht comes into the picture if you're dealing with someone who's angry upset or dealing with a complex issue the one of the worst things you can do to an agent is set a little time clock next to their speaking time with the customer. It, I think this is relevant for the world, but there was a study done in Singapore a couple of years ago, which indicated that the average Singapore customer considered calling a contact center using the voice channel option six, not option one, two, three. And in fact, option five was ask a friend. So asking a friend was seen as more viable than actually calling the contact center and saying, hey, can you help me out? Which I thought was super interesting. So when I talk to agents, I say, do you remember or realize that by the time they call you, the self-service failed, the chat bot has failed, the friend has failed, everybody has failed. So by the time they reach you, they probably don't like you already. And, the, and most agents will say, yeah, yeah, Dan, we totally have that feeling. On top of which they complain more and more about the time that they wait, because in a world of Netflix and food delivery, our patience is essentially gone. Yeah, that's, that's a great example or a great story. Uh, Daniel, I'm sure there's plenty of people relating to that as well. And as you said, so the moment of truth, I guess, for a lot of organizations now is is when they do get to that point and they do get to the call center, it's so important to get it right. Yeah, it's so important to get it right. And, and 
you would truly think that if someone sits down and thinks this through, okay, we failed, we failed, we failed, we failed, this is our last chance to get it right, you would put a lot of time and effort and thought into what can I do to get this right? What information can I make available to agents? I'll give you a very simple thing that's come up with all this technology. I see in some centers, agents are being asked to do things like live chats and emails at the same time, or voice calls and live chats at the same time. So while it's great that we've got all these wonderful and exciting channels for customers to use, the thinking around how to use agents across different channels isn't quite there yet. The other thing I'm seeing is companies are introducing channels, but they're not training agents on those channels. I call that practicing on customers. And I think that's scary. If you fail, 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 and someone reaches out to you, let's say on a live chat, and the agent you reached doesn't actually know the objectives of live chat, what makes a good live chat versus a not so good live chat, that's really an unfair spot for an agent to be in. It's gotta hurt their self-esteem and it's gotta hurt their confidence. And, and, and last point on this, even with email agents, I meet a lot of agents these days who write emails and they'll say, Dan, I've been in the email team for five years, eight years, 10 years. I have never received a formal training in how to write a proper customer email. And, and you've got to admit that's just sad. And I'm seeing this a lot. While voice still seems to get some level of training, you're not seeing social media training. You're not seeing email training. You're not seeing live chat training to the degree I think that you should. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. And I think, um, you know, there was always that reluctance by organizations, I think initially with, with social media and email because, you know, something's in writing. So if it's a phone call, oh, we could probably deny or deflect that we actually said that mm -hmm. the agent made a mistake. But when there's something actually uh, in writing, it makes it a lot more difficult, doesn't it? It does. It does. I think of all the channels, I will always argue that email is the most complex to learn how to handle properly because you're essentially a detective. You have to kind of figure out what is it that the customer wants and then you have to craft a reply that as you say is in black and white, but still sounds like a human being. I think that's a frustration for me in, in channels like email and live chat in particular is agents sound like robots, whereas chatbots sound like humans. So something's backwards here. Chatbots sound like the friendliest best friend you've never had and yet you get a human written email that sounds like a legal lawyer for the company is writing to you. There's something broken here. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> um, do you think from a, from an agent skill perspective, um, would you say that uh, someone on the phones is a very different skill set to someone on the email team? Uh, yeah, I do. I think the one is, and, and not to get complex here, when you're on the phone, you're in what's called a synchronous conversation. We're going, like we're in now, we're going to and fro, like a tennis match or a table tennis. But email is what's called asynchronous, which means it comes in, I have to interpret it, apply my detective skills, I craft a reply, and then I send it out. Asynchronous and synchronous communication require different skills. And But there is some good news here. If you learn to write email like a human being, here's a, something I always say. If you can write it, you can say it. And if you can say it, you can write it. So I think one person can to learn to do both but they need to have a special training program just for the voice or synchronous side. And then they need another training program for the correspondence and the asynchronous side. Yep, great insight. Something similar, and I guess it's something that face call centers all over the world and something you would see a lot, I guess, in, in, your, uh, in your business is 
you know, as you said, no one sort of grows up with a whole bunch of training around call centers and uh, we have some agents, they perform really well. We need a team leader and we go, hey, you're our best agent. Guess what? Uh -huh. You're our new team leader. Uh, but invariably, uh, who would have thought that often doesn't work? No, it's a, it's a very complex job. As a matter of fact, I think the team leader job is the most difficult job in the contact center. My experience is the higher level you are, you tend to work more what I call up and out. You're working with other high level people, with department heads, with your bosses. You're in kind of a, a pretty smart group of people. Um, agent job, frankly, is relatively simple, even aside from the points we've made so far in this discussion, because once you hang up that phone that day, you're done. You don't take any work home with you. But I think the team leader, poor thing, is squashed in the middle between having to drive the KPIs that the organization wants, and then yet dealing with obviously the human nature and people problems and motivations of the people that work for them. So it's a really tough job. And I think simply promoting an agent because they were a good agent into the team leader role is a recipe for failure for everybody, sadly. I'm going to get you to put a couple of different lenses on here uh, with some probably some advice or some hot tips, I guess. Um, for someone that, uh, that is new to, uh, to a team leading role, what would what be some of the uh, the tips that you would pass on to help them succeed? Sure. Get your. It sounds so funny, but the cornerstone of contact center is operations. You've got to know your operations. You've got to know which levers move which levers. You have to understand the jargon and the KPIs, and you have to understand how all these KPIs interrelate with each other, because the agents you're managing are operating within this system. I think it's called a system of causes. And if you don't understand the system in which your agents are operating, it's very hard to make good decisions um, that will drive positive operations. That's probably my first tip. And the second tip is get equipped with some really solid people management skills. They're out there. They can be learned. Um, there's a lot to bringing the best out of other people. I mean, you got promoted because you were good. But that doesn't mean you know how to bring the good out of other people. So I think those are probably two quick tips I would have for new team leaders. Yeah, fantastic. And for, for the call center managers out there that are, that are listening, obviously they've got uh, some huge challenges on their hand. They're normally uh, you know, getting some pressure from the business around optimization. There's new technology to deal with. We've still got all the people issues that, we, uh, that we've touched on earlier. I mean, there's just so many things to focus on or balls in the air. Where do they start? I guess the first question I'd have is, how is your contact center seen within your organization? Are you seen as a healthy, viable, recognized partner of excellence? Are you the guys on the ninth floor where nobody knows where you are, hasn't visited you for 20 years? And in fact, some of your senior people don't even know you have a contact center. I think in order to do a good job, in, in the contact center leader role, you've got to be able to promote the value and benefit of your center internally. I think that's where the, a lot of the magic lies. One quick, quick story here is I met a very smart contact center leader for a bank here in Singapore. What she did during her contact center management days was she promoted a lot of her best people outside the contact center into marketing and operations and so forth. So she said, by the time I myself got promoted up, into let's say a VP of customer experience role, a lot of my ex-staff were already populated throughout the organization. It was a lot easier to get things done. Fantastic. Brilliant. Good That's 
So it was a 10-year strategy. So I really admire her for thinking so far ahead. Yeah, so. it's uh, fantastic. Um, I have a, um, a closed uh, a Facebook group for, uh, for call center leaders uh, just called CX Central if anyone's interested in, uh, in joining. And, and we often do some polls. And, uh, and I did a poll uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it was just the, the biggest challenges in my contact center are. And there was about you know six or seven uh, answers to choose from. Uh, and so just to, to reiterate exactly what you said, the number one uh, by a large majority was getting the support from other business units to help us support the customer was uh, was the one that ranked the highest. So as you said, it's about really trying to understand uh, you know how, how your call center fits into the bigger picture and getting the support from everyone. Yeah, if you're if you're a contact center manager and you spend most of your day inside your center, you're probably not doing the job that you were hired to do. I, by the way, I don't mean to be abrupt or or rude. If you equip good middle management, they might, I think the re, one of the reasons I was successful in my operations career is I had super strong team leaders. Because they were so strong and the results were coming through their efforts, I was freed up to go do things like new technology implementations, get them the budget they need, get them the training they need. They actually said they appreciated I was out of the office so much not because they thought I was lazy, but because they knew I was out there in the real world of the company, kind of fighting for us and making sure we were respected and taken care of. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Well, speaking of uh, getting out there, uh, I guess some good news for us uh, down under is that uh, it looks like you're you're coming down here in, uh, where is it, the 13th and 14th of August. Tell us a little bit about uh, that. Yes, I, I'm super happy and excited. Um, I haven't been, been down your way for some years. I guess I, I'll be running a two-day workshop with a very heavy focus on contact center operations and customer experience uh, down in Melbourne, and that's through Marcus Evans. So, Justin, I'm sure you've got that somewhere on one of your calendars. You probably know the dates better than I do. <laughs> Yeah, it is on our calendar. So for those listening, it is the 13th and 14th uh, of August in Melbourne. And even better, uh, as we're one of the media partners, uh, you can get 10% off as well. So make sure you check it out on our website and you'll uh, and sign up and you'll get your discount as well. Um, Daniel, uh, you, as we touched on right at the start, you, you now consult to, to companies all over the world. Um, uh, is there any sort of uh, any nuances that you think are, are probably changing the industry more so than what you would have expected? Yes, I think with the rise of customer experience, there's a view now I read, uh, and Deuce and see as well, that contact center is primarily customer service, meaning people only reach out to the contact center, customers, for example, when they have a problem, when they have a question, when they need something. And, and some of the discussion has been, contact centers will disappear because our job should be to eliminate the need for customer service. So I think the big discussion now, and it's also going on in my head, is how do I integrate the contact center effectively in my overall customer experience strategy? And how can I ensure that we're still seen as a valuable and viable part of the customer experience? I think it was um, uh, Jeff Bethos from Amazon who said the best service is uh, is no service, right? Uh, just got Absolutely, yeah. I mean, obviously, revenue generating centers like hotel reservations departments would disagree. That's clear. But for the rest of us, the best call is no call. But as you said earlier, Justin, while I, I think in my lifetime, I won't talk about how old I am, human service will not disappear. I can't see the future. I've watched Minority Report maybe too many times. 
I think humans will always require human service at some level with empathy, with care, with knowledge, uh, and obviously without the clock ticking next to them to keep the call short. Yeah, yeah, I, I tend to agree. Um, one, uh, one last thing I probably wanted to touch on uh, was uh, outsourcing slash offshoring. Uh, mm. Certainly a conversation that uh, you know, has a lot of debate uh, and in Australia is no different. Um, we tend to, you know, our hotspots, I guess, for us are typically sort of uh, the Philippines and now sort of South Africa is probably uh, making a claim for things and, uh, and even New Zealand. Um, and, and people have had various levels of frustrations uh, and experiences, but there is no question there is a huge amount of cost savings, particularly given the high cost of, uh, of labour in Australia. It's, uh, it's, it makes life difficult. Um, what do you, how do you see that sort of um, playing out? Because it, clearly it has an impact on the customer experience. So I'm just interested in your thoughts. It's a business decision, obviously. There's a, a video by, a lot of videos by Tony Shea, as most people know, as the CEO of Zappos. And in that video, the, the newscaster asks him, so why don't you outsource the Zappos contact center to places like Philippines or India and so forth? And his response, I think, really sums it up for me. If customer experience is what our brand is going to be, we can outsource that. So again, I think if you truly, and it, it's hard, I know it's easy to say, hard to do, but if you truly believe customer experience is the business strategy for your organization, then it, hmm, then deciding to outsource the contact center is gonna be a really interesting decision or a set of interesting discussions. Because as Tony Shea said, if it's your brand, how can you outsource it? Yeah, look, I tend to agree. I sort of see the way the, you know, everything's becoming so commoditized. And if I use the banks as an example, I mean, I can go to any bank and get a, a homeowner or a credit card or, you know, whatever mm -hmm. it might be. So what separates one bank from the other typically is the customer experience, you know, how I feel about, you know, that brand and every touch point that I've got. And obviously, as you said, you know, the, the risk, I guess, of, uh, of outsourcing or slash offshoring that is, uh, that you're going to lose potentially some control um, over that, and that's a, that's a risk if customer experience is your differentiator in the marketplace. Yeah, but I want to I want to swing the sword both ways because I mean I visited and been with some of these large outsourcers, particularly in the Philippines, and as long as the relationship between the organization that outsources and the outsourcer is very much a partner relationship, you can see good things happen. It's the relationships I see, and I used to work in outsourcing, so I've seen, seen both, is when the company says, we're outsourcing to you, your job is not only to help us save 30%, but you have to do a better job than we would do. Good luck and go do it. That's, that's a recipe for disaster. So if, if the organization does decide to outsource, you're going to end up finding you're going to have to fly people there. They're going to have to live there. You're going to have to work day after day with the outsourcer just as if they were your own place. So there's a level of responsibility involved with outsourcing. You can't just kick your problems under somebody else's rug. Yeah, I completely agree, having also uh, uh, worked in outsourcing. I must admit, when I, when I was sort of coming up through the ranks, and uh, at one point I was running the Australia Post contacts and operations, and um, you know, we, had, oh. we were always people looking to sell us off outsourcing options, and I was always thinking, you know what, no one's going to do a better job than you know, what we'll do ourselves. And it wasn't until I actually you know, moved over to outsourcing that you realize that essentially the outsourcing, you know, or the outsourcer lives or dies by the quality of service that they provide. Um, so they have a huge incentive to actually get it right because the reality is if they don't, they're going to lose the business. 
They do. And, 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 and I think this links down a lot to what does the contract look like? We won't go into all the nitty gritties, but the people on both sides who are writing and accepting these outsourcing contracts need to have a mastery of contact center operations and quality and so on. Otherwise, poor understanding translates into a poor contract. It's just that simple. I've seen some really terrible contracts. Uh, and then the people say, Dan, we know we're stuck with it for five years. It was the former manager. Apologies. <laughs> Sorry, I throw okay. a bit of music in to mix it up. Worries. No, no, no. So anyway, yeah, it, it was a former management team or the former head that wrote it, and clearly they didn't understand yeah. operations because they wrote the weirdest contract we've ever seen. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. It's, um, you know, as you said, outsourcing often these hinges on getting good quality contracts. Uh, up front, there's something that uh, probably you and I could both help people with if, uh, if they needed to. Um, Daniel, I, uh, we've, we're nearly hitting half an hour and I think uh, you've been very generous uh, with your time. We've covered a lot of ground, so I really wanted to, uh, to thank you for taking the time to talking to us and, and certainly for being uh, my first guest on the uh, the CX Judge podcast. If people want to learn more about uh, your business, they can find you at uh, omnitouchinternational.com. Um, so Daniel, thank you so much again for your time. Look forward to seeing you down in Melbourne on the uh, 13th and 14th of August. You've got it. See you, see you in August, Justin. Thank you very much. Well, there you have it. The very first podcast with Daniel Lord from OmniTouch International. Absolutely loved listening to the chat. I hope you enjoyed listening too. If you'd like to subscribe and keep track of the next podcast, uh, you can obviously find me on iTunes or, of course, you can subscribe to both the podcast and a newsletter that I pump out about once a month. Uh, and, of course, we've got lots of articles, etc. You can find it all on cxcentral.com.au. My name's Justin Tippett, the CX Judge, and thanks again for listening. Look forward to talking to you next time. Mm-hmm.